Philippians chapter 3, and we'll be looking specifically at verse 1, and we might get to verse 2. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. So just by way of introduction, wanting just to remind us that obviously we have been going through the book of Philippians um, from the inception of this uh, lovely church. And God has showed us many things. I have certainly learned and I've been challenged and I've also been encouraged. Um, And uh, here we are. We continue. And you guys all see, eh? Um, so Paul is the author of this uh, epistle. As you know, he wrote this whilst he was in prison. And he was writing to his friends in Philippi. He had uh, started a church or opened up a church in Philippi. And he was writing to his friends who were uh, a group of people who were gathered together under the name of the Lord Jesus and there were a few things that he was trying to address over the course of, the, of this epistle. Um, and so he primarily in chapter 2 has been encouraging them along these lines of unity. Um, unity, unity, unity. I've, I've mentioned this several times that um, he's calling them. We need to be united. We are different. We've got different gifts. We are, uh, are not of the same parents. But we are of the same Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, we need to be united. Why? For the reason that he wants his gospel to move forward. To be uh, moving forward in the different regions, as it were. How is the gospel going to move forward if we are not united? If we are uh, dis- in a disagreement. Not an unhealthy disagreement. Not un- there are disagreements which are okay which you need to work through and live with, but there are disagreements about the core things of life, like Jesus Christ is the truth, the, the life, and He's everything that we, we stand for. So He has been encouraging His friends to be um, united. And we saw towards the end of, last, uh, of this chapter where He was uh, encouraging us and them um, about this thing about real deep and genuine friendships. We need to have real, deep and genuine friendships. So he uses himself as an example. The things that he's calling them to weren't just things that he was um, coming up with. It's all good ideas. You must be united. You must love one another. Meanwhile, he doesn't. He actually uses um, himself as an example. He speaks about his friend Timothy where he writes that he has no one like him. No one like him. Uh, and I asked the question, can I say that of you? I have no one like you. Can you say the same of me? Can we say the same of each other? I can send you to somewhere because I trust you. You can send me to somewhere because you trust me. And so he speaks about Timothy like this. And then he, towards the end of chapter 2, he brings in his, his uh, dear friend uh, Epaphroditus. And we spent quite a bit of time last week looking at that very peculiar name, Epaphroditus. And there, the, you know, we asked the question, why would that, I mean, we only hear about him, Epaphroditus, twice in the, in the Bible, both in the book of, it's all in the book of Philippians. Why would he appear? He's just a man. 
What's so special about him? And Paul tried to encourage and show that his call, his friendships with these men were real. They were real. As he calls us to be real with one another, to be genuine with one another around this thing of love. And so he's been calling them to many, many things over the, over the chapter 1 and chapter 2. We have read that you know, he will encourage the church and say that, do not worry, he who started a good work in you will continue and will bring it to a completion. So in other words, it's God who's doing the work. We just submit to him and pray, God, you do, you do, you do, your will, your will, not my will, your will. Um, he calls them to, the, to those kinds, then he calls them to unity. Um, he calls them to, uh, oh, he tells them about friendship, about Timothy, about Epaphroditus. And so now we get to chapter 3, and he continues to encourage them. He continues to encourage them. And so the overall theme of chapter 3 and the whole epistle is this word rejoicing. Rejoicing. And so the title for this morning from chapter 3 is No Confidence in the Flesh. No Confidence in the Flesh. Let's look at um, verse 1. Verse 1 says this. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. But for you it is safe. Chapter, uh, verse 2. Be aware or beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilator or mutilation let's start with verse 1 finally my brothers and sisters rejoice he says you see chapter 3 begins with a series of exhortations for living the christian life he has been encouraging us how to live this christian life uh, it's not just words it's not just an idea. It's reality. How are we to live? He says we are to do this. How do we do it? We are to love one another. How are we to love one another? And we'll see now the first exhortation that he has for his friends in Philippi. The first exhortation from uh, chapter 3 that he has for us, the Holy Spirit has for us, is he challenges the believers. And he the Holy Spirit challenges us this morning as a church not to place any confidence in the flesh. Not to place any confidence in the flesh. So he tells them, dear friends, do not place any of your confidence in your ability your ability of your flesh with the things that God has allowed you to have and to do, do not place your confidence in those things. And so before making an earnest or desperate appeal to them not to place any confidence in the flesh, Paul charged them to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. One must ask the question, well, why would Paul write that? Why would Paul say, do not place any confidence in the flesh? The flesh God has given us. He's allowed us to be how we are. Um, 
And then he says, that's cool, but do not place any confidence in this body. This body that is actually passing away. That is actually dying. And so the question must be, why did, he have the, why did he feel the need to write? Why did the Holy Spirit lead him to write that to the Philippians at, uh, in that day? Why? And the same would be said of us. Why would we need to read this? What, how does it relate and how does it apply to us? So there must have obviously been a need for that because um, the Philippians needed to develop some sort of joy orientation in their lives. And Paul came back to this theme over and over. And the trouble is, if we've got to be honest with each other, Christians today require this same challenge. Whether you look at it as a challenge or an encouragement, we require this challenge and encouragement. Why? Because discouragement in life makes headway easily. Isn't it? We, are so, we get so caught up with our discouragements. If I, if I encourage you, yes, you, you're happy and uh, that you know, you're thankful perhaps for a little while. But if I discourage you, man, that thing holds more weight, it seems, in our lives, doesn't it? It seems as though if I speak um, down to a, a, of you, that is what you remember. We forget about the ups, the glories, the, the victories, those things that God has allowed us to win and become. We just focus on the negatives. And so Paul felt the need, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to write this to, the, to his friends, the church in Philippi, saying, actually, do not place your confidence in the flesh, but rejoice in Jesus Christ. Rejoice in Him. When people speak down, he speaks about, you know, earlier on in, the, in, the, in chapter 1 and 2, he was speaking about, do not worry about those who are doing, uh, preaching the gospel with evil or, or uh, selfish intent, selfish motivation. They are wanting it perhaps to get rich, perhaps to get famous, whatever. Whatever reasons that they were preaching the gospel, he says, do not worry about them. As long as the gospel is being preached, do not stress about them. God will sort out their hearts as long as it is being preached. But don't hold on to that. Don't hold on to that. So here he comes and says, well then, actually, let us, be, let us develop a culture uh, of joy. Let us develop an attitude. We spoke about attitude um, of being joyful. Of being joyful. Why? Because circumstances will come which will cause you to be not joyful. Is it unjoyful or not joyful? English teachers? Unhappy. Circum life, th those things will happen. And then he tries to remind the, uh, his friends that when those things happen, let's not hold on to this. Yes, we recognize them and God, help me, help me, help me. However, thank you for the victories. Thank you for the things that you've allowed me to walk through. Thank you, Lord, for what you are doing in my life. And so Christians today need that. We need to encourage one another from a place of joy. From a place of, actually, you are doing well. And not just being superficial. As I said, he tries to encourage through Timothy and Epaphroditus. That friendship of genuineness. You're doing well. Actually, you messed up there, but this is how we, we can try and work this thing out. 
but you're doing well. You're doing well. And we need to remember that those are the things that we need to try and uh, hold on to. Not the negatives. Life is almost filled with negativity. Isn't it? So discouragement makes headway easily. Yet, joy in the Lord quickly defeats discouragement. Joy in the Lord quickly defeats discouragement. And for us, steering our attention toward Him rather than toward our circumstances releases focus upon the problem. Remember with that song, I fix our eyes on Jesus, fix our eyes on uh, our gaze upon His face, His beautiful face. It's teaching us to actually look at Him, not to look at the things that are happening in our, in our, in our lives. We, we cannot be um, foolish and put our, head, uh, our heads under the sand. We've got to be aware of what's happening. But as we see what's happening around us, we have to fix our gaze on Him, the Creator of heaven and earth, the one who created you, the one who has a plan for Ephesians 2.10 says that He has gone ahead and prepared good works for you and I to walk in. And if that's true, then why do we get caught up with all the trivial stuff of life? Why do we get caught up with the things that put us down? Why do we listen to the negative people who are negative in our lives and hold on to that rather than listening to the positive people that God has brought into our lives? So when we put our gaze on Him, all these other things become trivial. They become less. And so Paul would write to his friends and says, and he would say this, the bottom line of life, my dear friends, the bottom life, I mean the bottom line, I've given you all these things. Be united. Don't worry about those who are preaching out of their own motives. Don't worry about this. Don't worry about uh, Epaphroditus. You know, he was almost, I mean, he, he almost died he, on his journey to come and encourage me. He almost died. Even with that sickness, Paul says, keep rejoicing. So have you lost your job? I would say, keep rejoicing. Is it negativity? Is it things that you don't understand? Why? I would say this morning, keep rejoicing. Paul says, despite everything that was happening in Philippi and in Rome, Paul was still rejoicing. Him in prison, bound in prison, he was still rejoicing. That's quite something. You are bound. You, you, you are you're in prison. You're writing to those who are not in prison, those who are, are free. Yet you can tell them, keep rejoicing. I wish uh, I had that kind of attitude all the time. Father, help me. Just keep, keep rejoicing. Despite the rivalry that is happening in Rome, despite his being in prison, despite the persecution and opposition, despite the extreme illness of Epaphroditus, Paul was still rejoicing. And he wants, wanted the Philippians to continue rejoicing. So you see, he doesn't, he doesn't write, you must keep rejoicing as a, an, almost a, an idea that's out there, you do it. 
I'll watch you. you. No, no, he rejoices first. He almost sets the example. Despite all that's happening, I am still rejoicing in Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of my life. And the reality or the truth of us as Christians is this. If our core of our thinking is upon failure, failure becomes our orientation. We view everything upon what we think. If failure is your subject choice, everything will be looked from a lens of failure. That's not how it's meant to be for us as Christians. If we change our core, and this core is developed by, by things that we allow into our lives. So the question, how, how does the core, what, what is the core? The question then is, what are you listening to? What are you watching? What are you allowing to be spoken over your life? What company are you keeping? Those things, little by little, start just infiltrating into our lives. And they become, they become uh, this belief system in our lives. So what are we listening to? What are we watching? What are we giving our attention to? Those things become the core of who we are. And we, as those become the core of who we are, then they almost determine our direction. They determine our direction. And if we change our core of our thinking to contemplate the Lord, He then becomes our ambition. He becomes our everything because we are focused on Him, because our gaze is fixed on Him rather than on stuff, rather than on people's opinions. I mean, I've heard of people say, no, you, you, you're useless. You'll amount to nothing. You'll amount to nothing. And the question I have in the back of my mind is, who are you to tell me that I'll amount to nothing? Who are you? How dare you say such uh, negative stuff over me? Who are you? The king of kings has said I'm his beloved. He has created me in his image. He has a plan and a purpose for my life. You cannot come and try and tell me all these things. Yes, I might go a little bit zigzag, but I will find my way because God, who started a good work in me, will bring it to completion. In fact, He's carrying it on until completion. So that's the truth that we need to be reminded of. When people, people speak negatively, when people speak like they shouldn't, we have to hold on to the truth of the Word of God. We hold on to those things because those truths remain. And those truths then become our core. Which then brings us to this question or this statement. Whether or not success comes our way, that becomes almost irrelevant. Because what is success? Ever, ever asked, ever thought, what is success? And we know how the world judges success. So you've got money, 
maybe you're famous. For the guys, maybe you're macho, you've got some muscles. For the ladies, you look so prim and proper. Are those, is that success? Is that success in the kingdom of God? We need to re-evaluate our core. What are we listening to? What are we believing in? What are we uh, aligning into our lives? If we place, as I said earlier, the Lord at the center of our thinking, lesser things seem to be trivial. If we place God in, in our core, then guess what? The venue issue that we might have becomes irrelevant in some ways. Why? Because he's gone ahead. He's prepared. He knows. My focus, our focus is on him, not on the situation. And the trouble is the prevailing philosophy among Christians, amongst you and I, if we have to be honest today, is this. If I am healthy... I am happy. When everything else is going well, it's going right, and all is happening, my bank account is healthy, then I am happy. Isn't that true? Our lives are almost pivoted on, on those things. Uh, am I healthy? Yes, I'm happy. Am I unhealthy? Uh, no, my, my, my happiness kind of changes. Do I have money in my bank account? Yes, oh, I'm happy. Uh, do I have uh, little money in my account? Uh, yes, then my attitude changes. So the question I have to ask at this point is what happens when the reversal prevails? What happens... When you are unhealthy, what happens when everything is not going according to the way it should be going in your thinking? What happens when your bank account is empty? Not just low, it's empty. What happens? I tell you, if, if your, your, your happiness is dependent on, the, on those things which human nature calls us to, then that, and, or that happiness evaporates. It just disappears. It just disappears suddenly because your bank account is low, because you're sick, whatever the case, it just uh, evaporates. But we forget that song we sang. He is faithful. He has been faithful. He will continue being faithful. He has seen you up until now. Why would he fail you now? Why would he drop you now? He still remains good, irrespective of what's going on. Whether you are unhealthy, whether your account is low, whether you're, there's uh, turmoil in your family, his character still remains the same. So if we, if, if we, if we focus on the circumstances of life, then your happiness, your mood, those mood swings keep on swinging, keep on going up and down. I'm happy now because things are good. Oh, no, I'm not happy now because things are not good. I'm happy now because I'm healthy. Oh, I'm not happy now because I'm unhealthy. 
These things keep, but we are told to actually orientate ourselves on him. Fix our gaze upon the Lord Jesus. For he is the same yesterday, today and forever. He does not change. And if that's true of him, then why do we waver? Why do we wonder? Why do we allow for a court to be corrupted? Why? When you're misunderstood and not appreciated, can you still rejoice then? Can you? We cannot rejoice in our circumstances always, at all the time. But we can certainly rejoice in our Lord Jesus Christ without failing. We can encourage ourselves to do that. At our uh, prayer and fellowship time a week or two ago, someone asked, um, we were asking each other, how, how, do we, how do we keep ourselves joyful? How do we, I think that was a question. And then someone asked me, how do you keep yourself Joyful. And I had to think about that because I didn't want to lie. Because I know Christians can, we can be almost superficial. We're not sometimes honest because we're scared you're going to judge me. And, I, and I, the answer I said was, life is not easy, yes. Always. Life is great, but it's not always easy. And how do I try and keep myself joyful is I encourage myself in God. I almost look at David. David encouraged himself in God. He would be going through a whole stack of stuff and what does he do? He goes back to God and encourages himself in Him. Hmm. Joy, joy, joy. It's a small but, but big word in our lives. So are you joyful this morning? What is happening in your life, may I ask, that is possibly trying to rob you of your joy? What is happening in your life that is possibly trying to um, erode the things that God has done, the faithfulness of, of, um, uh, of our King? What is currently now happening that is causing you maybe to wonder, is God really true? Is He even alive? Does He even know what's happening to me? Does he even know what's happening? Father, where are you? What are those things right now if you've got to be honest with yourself? What is going on? It's causing you to lose joy. And I tell you what, you will walk, hopefully walk out of here encouraged to be joyful in the Lord. But I can assure you the moment you walk out of here, you go to the next part. Something is going to happen that will try and infiltrate and try and take away. The key, my dear friends, is to keep our core, our gaze upon Him, our Lord Jesus Christ. Um,
because actually in his grace and his mercy, he allows all sorts of things to happen to our lives. We don't understand. I don't understand them all. But it's in his, in his grace and in his mercy that he allows it to happen. It's in his grace and his mercy. And my dear friends, you are his beloved. You are the chosen one. You are still here on earth. There's still a plan and a purpose for you. You haven't graduated from this life. There's still stuff that he has for you to do. And the primary focus of all those things is actually not for you. It is for his glory, number one. Number two, it's for the rest of us. <laughs> it's for the rest of us. But as those things happen, as he gets the glory and we get the benefit of what he's called you to, so you also enjoy, you begin to enjoy, you begin to feel fulfilled. You begin to walk into the things that he's called you to. So what is happening in your life this morning? For the sake of time, we just, we're going to leave it there. But I'd like us to close our eyes, if that's okay. And think about this question genuinely. What is happening in your life? What are the things that you've allowed to steal your joy? Remembering joy is different to happiness. They say happiness is dependent on circumstances. Joy should be dependent on the Lord Jesus Christ, irrespective of the circumstances. So what is robbing you of your joy this morning? Father, thank you that you are so gracious to us. But God, despite our shortcomings, Father, you still love us. Despite our failings, Lord, you're still concerned for us. Despite, Lord, our misunderstandings, God, you, your plan still remains. You're committed, Father, to see it through. Because that's what the truth of your word says. That you began a good work in us. And notice I say a good work because that's what your word says. You're busy with, with that work and will bring it, will bring it to completion for your glory, King Jesus. So this morning, Father, I pray for my friends. Pray, Lord, for my family. And I ask you, God, to highlight, reveal those things, God, that the, uh, perhaps the enemy has deposited and allowed to to be in our, in our lives that we focus on. Help us to see them for what they are, Lord. And help us, Father, to fix our gaze upon your Son this morning. And as we do that, God, all these things will become trivial. They'll become trivial. Why, God? Because you are far greater than this life that you've given us. 
So I pray for each and every single one of us, those who are obviously here with us, Lord, and those who are not with us. I pray for the churches at, at, at large, for every Christian God, where we have been um, lied to in many ways of, of, with this concept of success. God, may we understand success through your lens. Give us ears to hear the things that you're doing or saying. Give us eyes to see the things that you're doing, as your word says. And help us, Father, to focus on those things and help us to give you glory in all circumstances, God. Help me, Holy Spirit. In Jesus, strong and mighty name I pray. Amen.